You're listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate Lisa Leitner. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. Now back to the show with your host, Lisa. Hi, welcome. I'm Lisa Leitner. I am here bringing you another episode of Don't IEP Alone. You can find me on YouTube. You can find me on Facebook, A Day in Our Shoes. I guess I'm on LinkedIn. I don't really do much. I'm on Pinterest, Instagram. I only use professional or personally. So anyway, make sure you're following if you're not already. And of course, click that subscribe button so that you are informed of every time I record a new episode. I actually have a virtual assistant helping me with this right now, which is very exciting because part of the reason it wasn't getting done was that it was just kind of an overwhelming task for me to edit video, edit audio, and put it all online. And podcasts are a lot more work than you might think. So facebook.com backslash a day in our shoes IEP is probably the best place to get everything. Today, before get into our topic today, and it's a good one, I want to remind you to go to a day in our shoes.org where you will find all of my mini courses, training sessions, and the world-famous IEP toolkit, world-famous. Yeah, there are people overseas. I actually have a group of people, a group of educators and parents in the South Pacific. Believe it or not, this was a learning experience for me as well. But U.S. territories are bound to IDEA. Now, mind you, those folks are not funded. You think our funding problem is bad? You ought to see what it's like in the South Pacific. But they are bound to IDEA, and so a bunch of families got together and purchased a toolkit, adayinourshoes.org, for that. All right, today what I want to talk about, and this is something that's been going on for really well over a decade, but it came up, it's come up, and here we are in November, and this has come up already four times within the first couple of months of school. So I think that it's coming up because parents are frustrated. I I think that there are a lot of kids struggling out there right now. And I feel like the climate right now in special education between parents and school IEP teams, I think that the climate is a little bit more contentious than it usually is. And so parents are feeling like extra pressure, if that makes sense. So what I'm talking about is this concept of the gotcha. And I'm going to give you the four specific situations where a parent asked me, I've been doing a lot of work, online workshops. In fact, I have another one coming up this Saturday for, for Pennsylvania School for the Deaf. But I've been doing a lot of workshops. And at the end of them, I take parent questions. And the same theme has now come up in four of them. So it's this whole concept of gotcha. And what I want to clarify, first of all, is what I mean by gotcha, right? Gotcha, of course, is slang for I have got you or I got you, right? Gotcha. And according to the Cambridge Dictionary, and I like their definition, but their definition is it is said to mean I have got you in order to surprise or frighten someone you have caught or to show that you have an advantage over them, okay? And I want to lay out these specific situations where a parent felt that they had an advantage over the IEP team, right? They had a gotcha. Like, I have this. I have this piece of information. I have this documentation. I have this thing, right, in the IEP process. And that's my gotcha. I have an advantage over you. 
I understand, again, I've counseled hundreds, if not thousands of parents over the past 13 years. I understand parents' frustrations. I understand how they feel gaslit, not listened to, unheard, ignored. Their kids are struggling. There's regression going on. There's bullying going on. There's outbursts at home. I truly, truly understand how parents feel. I have been there myself with my own child. And I've, again, I've watched countless other parents go through this. I get it. So you get this piece of information, you're gotcha, and you think, okay, this is it, right? I have this bit of information that shows I have an advantage over them. So surely when I bring it to their attention, things are going to change. Things are going to get better. I'm going to get what I ask for. This is going to change and, and we're going to be great. Let me tell you why that doesn't usually work. If you've ever read the book, and if you don't, go to a used bookstore or whatever, because you can usually pick them up for like a quarter or 50 cents. It's a hundred-year-old book. Came out in 1937. 85-year-old book. It's Dale Carnegie's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I picked it up, actually. I, I love the used book barn that is near me. It's run by my Lions Club. And I go there often. And I just saw it there one time. And it was, you know, whatever quarter or 50 cents. So I was like, yeah, let me pick this up. I've heard about it. You know, it's just kind of one of those things that's like a piece of American history. I think it is one of the best selling books in America of all time. So I was like, yeah, let me, let me check this out and see what's in it. And I read it. It's, a, it's an easy read too. You don't even have to really read the whole thing if you want to just kind of skim the beginning of each chapter just to hear, you know, his tips for how to win friends and influence people. But one tip that he gives that has stuck with me so often and many times the people in my live training will even tell you, like sometimes they'll even tell you, people do not like to be told that they are wrong. Now, he gives examples, obviously from the 1920s and 30s, but he gives examples where, you know, someone was wrong about something. And even when presented with overwhelming evidence that someone was wrong, they're unlikely to change their mind. You're unlikely to say like, look, this is what I have. These are all the different ways that I can prove that you're wrong. So you're wrong. You know, admit to me that you're wrong. That is not likely to happen. And I think we're seeing that play out in American society, right? There is certainly a segment of society who it doesn't matter how many facts you present them with. They're not going to admit that they're incorrect. They're not going to admit that they're wrong. They are right. Again, it doesn't matter how much evidence you, you show to the contrary. So it's human nature. We could think of example after example after example. Like right away, you know, when you tell someone that they're wrong, and even when you, you know, you can serve people information on a silver platter and you can serve them information on a trash can lid, even when you presented them on a silver platter, you can see people kind of bristle in their seat, right? They don't feel comfortable and they don't like being told that they're wrong. But parents have this bit of information and they think, well, surely if I take this to my IEP team at an IEP meeting, then I'll get what I want. So one example that it was one of the first times this year that I encountered this similar question again, and it was not first, but it was the one who actually prompted me to write a blog post about it because I was like, okay, this is happening enough that I need to shout this from the mountaintops and get parents, you know, back reined in. But the parent asked that some kind of report, it was an incident report about the child. Something had happened at school. There was an incident and an incident report was generated. 
the parent did not receive the incident report until they asked for it. And they said, is the school required to provide the parent with that report? Right. That was their piece. And what they wanted from me is they wanted me as a very experienced advocate who's been through these scenarios hundreds of times. They wanted me to say, yes, yes, the school is required to provide you with that report. Right. And here's where it is in IDEA. Here's where it says that. My honest answer to her was, I'm certain that the answer to that question is not in IDEA. IDEA is not going to say either way if the school is required to provide you with such a report. And I advised her that while I'm not as familiar with FERPA, and FERPA is the Student Records Act, the Educational Records Privacy Act, FERPA, so that while I'm not as familiar with FERPA, that is where I would look. And I don't think it's in there, but we're talking about an incident report. We're talking about student records, student educational records. So FERPA is where I would go to look. Didn't seem to care for that answer, but that's, you know, that's the truth. I don't, I don't know for sure. You know, and of course you could look at your school district policy and policy is policy. It's not law, but if a school district is going to draw up such a policy, then I would expect that they follow it. So that would be another place to look. But let's take this like sideways and say that I could point to a clause or a quote or a citation in either IDEA or FERPA. Let's say there was something that we could point to and it says, you know, all incident reports must be provided to the parent. So the parent has this, right? They print it off. They can print it off the internet circle it, highlight it. Look, it says right here in the laws, you have to provide me with this report. What does that do for your child? How does that affect your child's outcomes? Okay. A gotcha is not slam dunk that parents think it is, right? So the parent goes to the IEP meeting and they have this wording and it says schools must provide parents with this XYZ report. And whatever the parent is asking for in the IEP meeting, like, I don't, you just expect IEP teams to roll over and go, oh my gosh, we made such a mistake. I can't believe we made that mistake. Please don't do anything to us. Please don't hurt us. We'll give you anything you want in your IEP. That's not going to happen. There are, and this will be another uh, another podcast for another day, but parents are the IEP police. Unless you file for due process or unless you file a complaint of some kind, It is assumed that things are okay. There are no IEP police coming behind us to make sure that there are, that everything's being followed and that kids are making progress and that nobody's checking on outcomes, right? So if the parent had that report that they wanted, the incident report, if the school then provides that incident report to the parent, I say, now what? Okay, you have your big gotcha. You were able to prove that they have to provide you that report. They provided it. So now what? Because you can do a FERPA request and still get the report. Just because they didn't provide it to you automatically or they're hemming and hawing about giving it to you, you can do a FERPA request and get it. But if you think that you're going to point to some code or some legislation and that's just going to kind of change the tone of the meeting, it's not, right? People do not like to be told that they are wrong, okay? You have to kind of keep your focus on the big picture. Now, you can always document this stuff send them an email about their refusal to provide you with this report. 
if you find yourself in due process, that's going to be a good bit of information that your attorney is going to be very interested in hearing, right? That the school is not cooperating. The school is not allowing you meaningful participation in the process. It's good information to have. It's just not this big gotcha that ends up in your requests being granted or that you have an advantage over the IEP team. I asked my, when, when I was putting together the blog post, I asked a couple of my closest advocate friends who I adore, and I don't want to name them, but one of them said, gotcha is about you or them, meaning the parent, feeling better at the expense of not only the district, but most importantly, the student, okay? Again, let's go back to this report. It does nothing for the child. It does nothing for the child. And then I asked one of my attorney friends, and by the way, if you sign up for my IEP training, this attorney friend is doing one of our live trainings at 30th. I don't know when this broadcast, this podcast episode is going to be broadcast, but um, I have, I, I line up great attorneys. So definitely check out a day in our shoes.org um, so that you can attend these great chats. But I asked her about what she felt about this whole gotcha. And she just said, it reminds me of the fact that there is rarely a smoking gun. I've had one. And now this is someone who is about my age. We're middle-aged women. So she's been practicing for at least 20, 25 years. And she's had one smoking gun, right? Again, it's not this smoking gun. It's not this big piece of, aha, gotcha, that is going to result in a better IEP. People do not like to be told that they are wrong. Another gotcha, and not only is something maybe not a gotcha, and this is funny because I keep saying like people do not like to be told that they are wrong, but sometimes I'm forced in the situation where I have to tell a parent that they're wrong and they don't like to hear that either. There was another parent, this was a different workshop that I was doing for a different group. And the situation was that the child had something listed in their IEP and this accommodation, this intervention was not happening. So the parent asked the teacher about it. And the teacher said, well, I asked if they wanted to use this accommodation and they said they did not. So parent thought for sure this is their gotcha, right? I even asked her. She said she's not providing this accommodation. Surely that's a huge gotcha, right? It's in her IEP. It's a gotcha because she didn't do that. And, and the famous phrase that I often hear is, is that even legal, right? I'll go on to the whole legal bit in, in a minute. Here's the thing. I said, let's get out your IEP and let's look at this accommodation. So we did. And guess what? They both were right. The teacher wasn't wrong, but the parent wasn't wrong either. The, the accommodation was not being, well, it was being fulfilled, actually. The parent was wrong, not right. Because the way it was worded, it said the child will have access to, and then it listed the accommodation. And the child was given access. The teacher offered the accommodation. The child declined it. So if the parent wants the child to, no matter what, use that accommodation, it needs to be changed in the IEP. She's fighting the wrong battle. If you're trying to go after a teacher for not following the IEP, this ain't it because it says the child will have access and the child had access. So again, the parent gets themselves all worked up and they, you know, and then it creates just this bad blood, right? Because you think your teacher's not following the IEP and all this other stuff. And it's, first of all, keep your focus on the big picture. And, you know, does the child need this accommodation? What was the outcome? There are complaint options. If, if a team isn't following an IEP, there are complaint options that you can follow, okay? But it's this whole concept of, I gotcha, 
and I'm going to go into this IEP meeting and I'm going to point out that you weren't following the IEP. So then you will feel pressure to give me whatever I want, whatever I ask for. You're going to feel pressure to do it because I got gotcha. you. Because unfortunately, like folks, the IEP process is not fair. It is not fair. So let's, you know, I can tell you what should be, but as an advocate who's been doing this a long time, I'm also going to tell you what is. And what is, is that this is not a fair process for parents. Parents are at an extreme disadvantage. One of them being, go ahead and file your complaints. They're nothing more than a slap on the wrist for the most part. So again, there aren't these big gotchas and that's, and that's what you know, this whole, is it legal? Is it legal for them to do that? Right. Because they want me to, they want me to show them because I know IDEA so well, and because I do know my state regs so well, people expect me to just out of thin air, be able to pick something out and go, there it is. There's the clause you're looking for so that they can march into a meeting and point to it and go, see what you're doing is not even legal. But even if that were true, so what? It doesn't mean anything. You can file complaints. You can get some comp services. You might get some comp education. You might be able to order training for the school team, but nobody's going to jail. Nobody's losing their job. It's not criminal law. Okay. So, all right. I've ranted long enough about the gotchas. So I'm going to stop. Keep your focus on the big picture. How will this affect your child's outcomes? You can always document this stuff and you'll have it for later if you want, if you end up filing for due process, if you end up filing a complaint of some kind, you'll have this documentation that will show a pattern that may benefit you in the future. Marching into a meeting and telling people that they're wrong is not likely to get you anywhere. People do not like to be told that they are wrong. Okay. I'm Lisa Leitner. Make sure you click that follow button. Make sure you check out adayinourshoes.org and enjoy the rest of your holiday season. Thank you for listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate Lisa Leitner. We're so glad you've joined us and would love to connect with you outside of the show. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. From self-care tips to common IEP mistakes, there's even more to explore. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast and subscribe to never miss an episode. Until next time, don't IEP alone and you don't have to.